The scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 42. Um, again, we're in this psalm series. We'll have one more week in the psalms, and then we're doing a little three-week series on kind of what is the church from Ephesians. Um, but just as a reminder, when you're reading the psalms, you're reading the songbook of the Bible. Uh, you're reading the book that is meant to, you can use any scripture, of course, to pray to God. But the psalms in a really powerful way with the imagery that it has and the transparency of the heart of the psalmist gives us words to be able to communicate to God that we can be 100% certain are words that he wants us to be thinking about and considering. And Psalm 42 is just like that. So, Psalm 42, hear the word of the Lord. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I, when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, are you ready? Like, are, are you ready? You know, that can be a very anxiety-provoking thing to ask someone, right? Like maybe, maybe you're on a roller coaster and your, your, your guard is not down yet and they go, are you ready? You're like, I'm not ready, you know. Or maybe you're sitting in your car and you should never look at your phone in your car while you're driving teenagers ever under any circumstances. But like if you happen to stare at a text message while you're at a stoplight and there's 15 cars in front of you and you know it's a long red light and you look over at your phone, which I've done before, you might experience what I did, which is I didn't realize how long I was looking at my phone, but my neighbor behind me was asking, are you ready? With a horn, right? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you care about being prepared? You know, in this text, the psalmist calls, gives some examples of what it means to be prepared, what it means to be ready. And I want to encourage you to think about that in two different kind of categories as we make our way through what is it, you know, thinking about being ready, being prepared. One is being prepared in your life, and the other is being prepared spiritually. So life preparation and spiritual preparation, they are not completely distinct, right? They're interconnected, they're woven together. But, but think about some, maybe some of the differences. Life preparation are things like setting your alarm in the morning so you get up, right? Life preparation is caring about your budget and doing that well. Life preparation is thinking church starts at 1030, so I'm going to get there somewhere between 1025 and 1050, which is okay. You just get here when you can get here, all right? That's fine. Life preparation is, are, is those coping mechanisms, those strategies you have to deal with stress, or to deal with life, or maybe, you know, to deal with um, arrangements you have at work. Like, you have to be prepared in your life. 
and you're not really afraid of this. You know it's true. Um, if you're not ready, you, things could happen that you're not prepared for. And you, if you go through that long enough in your life, you start realizing, I really benefit from some kind of preparedness and uh, going about my life. And what about spiritual preparation? How do you think about your relationship with God? Do you decide to just go with whatever your heart, your heart tells you? Or maybe, could you look to the scriptures given to us by God to say, this is who I am. When your heart says otherwise, remember who I am. How do you prepare spiritually? Again, I quoted this a couple weeks ago, but Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart wants what the heart wants, right? There are times where our hearts were absolutely convinced, this is the best thing for me. And then we, we realize it's not. And I forget if I've told you this story or not, but one time I thought it was a great idea to drink pine salt. I was five years old, four years old. I opened it up. I love lemons to this day. My mom had warned me, don't drink the pine salt. I took a big old gulp. It worked out. I'm okay. But a lot of milk and poison control and everything else, it seems like it's going to be so good. If you've ever smelled pine salt, like they should make candy that tastes like, that, that smells like, you know, tastes like that smells or whatever. It's just wonderful. Like I love lemon drops, right? It doesn't matter what you think is going to happen if you drink pine salt. What's going to happen if you drink pine salt is you're going to drink an acid or whatever it is that's going to really hurt. I know from experience. How are you prepared spiritually? Do you think about who God is based on what your mind can come up with and how you've observed and what your best opinion is? Or is it possible that there's actually an authority greater than Pastor Brad, an authority greater than the president, an authority greater than anyone who's ever walked the face of the earth except Jesus himself who says, this is who I am. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What if, and it's true, everyone's created in the image of God, that we have a thirst in us that can only be satisfied by accessing this kind of God, this one, who offers streams of living water to us. The one who gives us hope in the midst of experiencing hopelessness. The one who celebrates our joys with us in ways that no one else can celebrate. How are you prepared spiritually so thinking about the idea life preparation spiritual preparation what does it mean to be ready i want us to to think about life as a journey for a moment and we're going to talk about the destination of the journey the challenges you experience in the journey and then the goal of it all right the destination the challenges and the goal it's pretty simple so let's start with destination knowing where he's going the psalmist is really clear here he's thirsty he's longing his soul is thirsting and what does he say when can I go and meet with God? Like he knows exactly where to go in order to have his soul's thirst satisfied. And we do this kind of thing in life, just with like life preparedness. And how many times do you say, hey, let's go out to eat, and then you don't make any plans, and you just hope that you both end up at the same restaurant? Like that's ludicrous. Or you get in your car and think, I don't know, Google, take me somewhere to eat. You might end up at the Circle K. I don't know where it's going to take you. We prepare, like we think about our destination. We think about where we're going. David talks about kind of two different kinds of destinations. One is ultimate, and then one of the destinations along the road. What's his sense of his ultimate destination? When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember. Here's his destination. As I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God. There's something about going to be with God's people to worship him that is actually meant to satisfy our souls. 
It's, like, it's meant to, by the power of the Spirit, God uses the reading of his word and the hearing of his word to really encourage us. And maybe it's only for two or three minutes of Pastor Brad's sermon, or maybe it's in the call to worship, or maybe it's in a different part of the service, or maybe it's over the long-term, continual hearing of God's word that in that moment where your soul is really thirsty, you remember the destination, the ultimate destination, of being in the presence of God. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. David knows that ultimately, where is he going to experience his protection? Where is he going to experience his care? Under the mighty one, going to be with him. Or in verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What's your ultimate destination? For the psalmist, he's realizing despite all this suffering he's enduring, they're sort of little destinations from between where he is and the ultimate destination of being in God's presence. He talks about panting like an animal, like a pant panting for streams of water, desperate, this sense of desire to be satisfied. And he finds it being in God's presence. He talks about his soul. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? You know, I'm 45. There have been times where I've prayed to God or I've experienced something where I'm like, this just hurts so much. Like, I don't have an answer for this right now. I'm just in, I'm so sad about it. There's a God who hears you. There's one who has streams of living water. My soul is downcast within me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's feeling oppressed. His bones are suffering, suffering mortal agony. Like, he knows these little destinations but the thing is, those little destinations, not that they're insignificant, they matter. They're completely calibrated to the reality that one day the ultimate destination is going to be in the presence of a God who is mighty to protect him, in the house of God where he can be found so that he can taste these streams of living water that are being offered. You know, one of the ways David communicates his deep desire to be with God is through this desperation, this imagery of a panting animal. You ever taken your dog for a walk? for a long walk and they're just panting for something to drink or maybe you've gone running or something and what's the first thing you want? To be satisfied. Is it wrong in your soul to experience life as it is and to say, can I please experience some satisfaction? God's actually saying, come to me to be satisfied. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There is a God that watches over us, who is mighty to protect us, and yet, even though that's our ultimate destination, we are still going to experience these little destinations in between of suffering. That, that's reality. What do we do in those moments? We remember the living God. Part of how David accesses this living God, again, verse 4, he goes to the house of God. It's why church matters. You know why Grace Presbyterian Church is here? It's not to extend the franchise of a denomination. That is not what it is. The reason Grace Presbyterian Church is here is so that we can have a community of faith centered on who Jesus is so that we can come and gather and be refreshed. That our faith can be encouraged. That we can ask the hard questions of God, have you forgotten me? And celebrate in the festive throng. That we are people who are welcomed into his presence. That's why this church exists. And it's a critical element of the psalmist's spirituality to understand that being aware of his destination of being with God and being in the context of God's people is where he's going to experience renewal and forgiveness and hope. 
But there's going to be challenges, as I mentioned, which is kind of the second point here. There's going to be things that we face along the way. Now, I told you all about some of our travels this summer. My family went and did some things. We went climbing in Flagstaff. And when you go climbing, you got to be prepared, right? So we hike in two miles. We have our gear. We put the rope down. We put the harnesses on. We get the quick draws on. The chalk bags are open. People have climbing shoes on. And I'm sort of making sure everyone's safe. And no helmets. I thought, oh, man. So when you're climbing, you can choose to not climb with helmets. One time, I had a helmet on, and hail started coming down so hard, it actually hit William in the head and made him bleed. And I was going, tink, 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 tink. I was like, I'm so glad I had my helmet on. I was prepared, right? I decided in a quick moment, because no one was really volunteering, that I would run back and get the helmets. I went back and got the helmets, came back, quick four-mile, you know, run up and down mountains and stuff. We, get, we, we start climbing, and... One of the first climbs up, Walker goes up, takes a little whip, a little fall above the lead anchor, and kind of hits a, a tree and scrapes his head. No big deal. He had a helmet. William and Avery and I climbed this one climb that had an overhang, and you can't see it until you're on top of it because where you stand is about four feet between where you're standing and the ledge. And so you get up, and all of a sudden, boom, you hit your head. And I hit mine pretty hard. And if I hadn't had a helmet, I certainly would have been bleeding up there. But I had a helmet, so it was no big deal. I was prepared for the challenge. Are you prepared for the challenges that inevitably find all of us in this life? Who can protect you? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. Know this, whatever challenges you face, However distant God might feel, he's telling you in his word, he is the mighty one who protects you. That he draws near to you. That he watches over you. Not only that, the psalmist gathers with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Again, a reminder of the importance of doing what we're doing right now. You know, the long, slow, steady obedience of coming to worship and reading God's word and hearing that is actually what satisfies your soul for more than a day and more than a week, but actually is able to satisfy you well into forever. God's grace is like that. David faces both physical and spiritual challenges. We see all that. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? Why have you forgotten me? I'm oppressed by the enemy, and I love this in verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony. Does your body hurt? You know, as I get older, I'm discovering I'm developing old man disease, and just things start hurting. David knows physical pain. This is not hyper-spirituality. This is not just glaze over the hard stuff kind of thing. This is, you know what? Our bodies hurt. You know what? Spiritually, we hurt. Where do we go in the midst of challenges? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Where do we go to find our hope? Verse 11, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 5, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Are you seeing it? Whenever you face challenges in life, whatever, I mean, you know, there's life-prepared stuff, like maybe you can adjust some things, but sometimes it's just really, really difficult. And the only thing to do is to say, I need a mighty one who can protect me. I'm going to look to the one who actually has enough grace for me in this moment. God invites us to both. Now, what are the challenges you face? Like, if you had to write down a list of the top five challenges you face, what would they be? For some of you, the challenge you're facing is that your summer is dwindling, and school is about to happen, 
and you're either going to have to go teach or you're going to have to go to school and study, or maybe you've gotten a break, and that break's about to be over. Some parents are dreading going shopping for school supplies, which I, which I hear. By the way, if you haven't already gotten them, you're, you're, you're in trouble, is what I've been hearing. They're, they're dwindling. You know, what are the challenges you face? Maybe the challenge you face is you're about to graduate college, and you're thinking, okay, now what? Here's what. You ready? The Mighty One will protect you. He's your God and your Savior, He's going to go with you. You're not going to go on. You're not going to go at it alone. And as you have faith in who He is, watch how His grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't mean you won't go through these things, but it means the God who is mighty, who protects you, who invites you to be among His people, says to you, "I am your God, and I am your Savior." You see, Jesus Himself knows exactly these two kinds of suffering, both physical and spiritual. If you remember from last year in Mark 15. We studied how Jesus died on the cross. In verse 33 of chapter 15, we read, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, that's what the psalmist said here in Psalm 42. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. You see what's happening? They're mocking his God. It's the same thing the psalmist goes through. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Do you realize what happened? In a moment that should have been utter suffering with no hope, someone begins to see that Jesus is who he says he is. He sees Jesus' physical suffering, an immense physical suffering. Jesus knew this day would come. He knew this challenge would, would approach him. He faces it because of the one that loves him so, the mighty one, his father. Jesus knows what it's like to face all sorts of challenges. He faces darkness. He faces the doubts of others. When you read the story of who Jesus is and what he did, his reputation was taken advantage of. It was maligned and abused. Have you ever been gossiped about? Jesus knows exactly what that's like. You ever had people turn on you? Jesus knows what that's like. Where does Jesus go to find peace in the midst of the suffering? Well, he tells us. He looks to his Father. The psalmist is inviting us in the midst of whatever spiritual struggles we're having, whatever struggles we're having in life, to look to him and say, put our hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And that's really the goal of what's happening here. The ultimate destination is to be in God's presence, of course. We're invited into that because that's where we find life. We're going to face challenges, but, but to what end? Why do all this? What's the goal of the journey? Well, the confession, as I quoted earlier, says that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that may not sound very life-giving to you. You may, be, you may think, well, what do you do? What, why does glorifying God matter? Like, why should I be interested in that? John Piper used to put it this way. He said that God is most fully glorified when we're most fully satisfied in Him. What that means is that when we really begin to glorify God, which means to see God for who He is, to trust in Him and trust in what He says, when we begin to walk after Him, even though it's difficult, when we begin to glorify Him, do you know what the result is? Life, resurrection, hope. Even in the midst of suffering, when God's most fully glorified, 
God is most fully glorified when we're satisfied in him because when we look to him, we begin to experience the things Jesus tells we're going to experience, like hope and resurrection. See, the goal of knowing who God is, the goal of being prepared in life and prepared spiritually is that you can have the certainty that God loves you, that he is with you. No matter what all the narratives around you are telling you, whether it's your mortal body that's failing and your own heart is mimicking what the criticizers here in Psalm 42 or the people who watch Jesus die are saying, like, where is your God now? Where does David go when it gets that tough? It's in verse 5 and verse 11. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you see God, the Lord, as both your God and your Savior? For him to be your Savior means he's your Redeemer. It means he's your Deliverer. It means he's your Sustainer. So, what do you look to to make you feel better about yourself? What do you look to to sustain you when you're in a lot of pain? What do you look to to make sense out of all the hard work you've done? What do you look to as your uh, chief kind of primary identity? What are you looking to save you? Well, maybe it's your marriage, you know? If you've been married, then you know how to work out conflict, or you don't talk to each other at all. Those are kind of like the two options. I remember Paul Tripp once said in a marriage conference, the biggest problem in your marriage is you. I realize that's oversimplified, and there are exceptions to that, of course, but in general it's true that the biggest problem in your marriage is you. Can you love and forgive your spouse as God has loved and forgiven you? You can't. Unless you've experienced that kind of love yourself. Can you forgive someone who's really sinned against you? Can, can you actually believe that God is big enough to be your Savior and the Savior of that person? The Redeemer of that other person? The one whose soul, whether they realize it or not, is panting for this, the living God. For God to be your Savior means you're beginning to try to understand, okay, Lord, what does it mean for me to actually believe that you are living and that you can satisfy me? Lord, reveal to me the things that I think will ultimately satisfy me. You can kind of get a real good cue on what you think satisfies you and what your Savior is by what freaks you out the most when it falls apart. Now, I remember when, when my kids were young, it would be things like my, ki- my children disobeying or, or my children throwing a temper tantrum in the middle of church. Because I'm a pastor, right? Like, my kids can't. They can't. Yes, they can. That's okay for them to be children and freak out. They're so transparent. When, when we wouldn't give them what they wanted, they were totally cool throwing a temper tantrum at two years old and letting the whole world know, I am not satisfied. God is inviting us to say, okay, maybe you're there. I want you to find your satisfaction in this. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? What mu- why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? I'm in the midst of suffering. And then again, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. For him to be your Savior means you're actually in the process of learning to believe that his message of grace is big enough for you. That's where we all are. I go through this daily. What's really going to be my Savior today? Is God's grace going to be enough? But also the idea of God. What's going to be your God? You know, if you had to define what you're living for, how would you define it? What's your identity? You know, what directs your heart and your soul when no one's looking? What's going on in the affections of your heart? What do you think is 
ultimate. God has so much more for us than we can come up with on our own. Actually, when we begin to look to experience his grace and his goodness, we begin to see his spirit work in our hearts and in the, in the hearts of those that we love. Who is your God? Who is your Savior? I remember in 2015, Craig Biggio became, uh, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And he gave a speech, and it was a big deal. It was really cool. Jamie and I love the Astros. She's a much older Astros fan than me, so she was, you know, been in Houston her entire life. But it was a big deal for Craig Biggio to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And during his speech, he said this, How do you get to the Hall of Fame? You have to have a little talent and a lot of help along the way. When you think about your journey, the talent question, it's already there. Listen, there's no one in this room that God doesn't want to experience his grace. There's nobody in here he doesn't want to experience the joy of knowing him and being part of his people. Everyone qualifies for that no matter where you are. He wants you to hear that. But the other part of it, to get help along the way, where do you get help along the way? Actually, the church is one of those places. It's meant to be a beacon of a place where you can get that help. But what kind of help do you find in the church? This is all we have. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? There's imagery here. David, of course, is talking about the temple where God's presence was in the ark. Of course, that's true. But in a new and powerful way, as those who trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And even this morning, as mysterious as it is for us, we are in the presence of the Almighty. God wants you to bask in the reality that the mighty one watches over you right at this moment. That he's inviting you into a relationship where you remember your ultimate destination as you face these challenges. Because the goal is that you would know him as your God and your Savior. My encouragement to you this week is to be able to answer that question of are you ready like this? I don't know. But you're my God and you're my Savior. Or, I am ready, I have things planned, but you're my God and you're my Savior. As you walk that path, this is where you place yourself, under the protection of the Mighty One. The One who can be your hope, your rock, your Savior, and your God. Well, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning as we read Psalm 42, we do think about the reality that there are things in this world that invite our hearts to look to them to be our Savior and our God. But you are the only truly one who can measure up to that. To be our Savior, to deliver us. To be our God who can sustain us and watches over us. Lord, we would ask that as we reflect on these words and as we celebrate together here in this place, that you would encourage our souls so that we might find our rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.